sorry about that. Hey guys, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I am one of the pastors here. It is good to be back preaching again. Very good to be back. And it's been uh, a tough couple of months. It's good to be back. And it's also good to be back as a church to go, what are we really on about? And start, uh, I guess, getting back on track. So I'm going to pray. And oh, just one other thing I want to say. Isn't God good that I could have a couple of months away uh, not preaching and people like Halran and Tim and so many of us here uh, stood up and uh, filled in the gaps? Uh, God is good that he has given us a church where people can jump up like that. So I'm going to thank God for that. I'm going to also pray as we uh, look at this passage. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look at this passage today, uh, that you would help us to see how much you love us, the great hope that we have, and that you would help us also be changed, help our hearts and minds to be changed as we encounter you in your word. I pray that you'd speak powerfully to us, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About six years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he had just finished the course that he'd always wanted to study. And he just got a job that he always wanted. He was a consultant for one of the big companies in in the city. And I can remember talking with him about it, and he was three months into, into the job, and he talked about how this job he thought was going to be really amazing on so many different levels. But he found it kind of a ball, drudgery, and and he talked to a bunch of people there and he said, oh, does it get different? Does it get better? And they were saying, well, if you don't like it now, you won't like it in three or 30 years. It's basically the same job. This is what you are in for as long as you stay here. And we were talking about how he, he doesn't feel like his future is going to get any better. He felt like, oh yes, I'm earning a lot of money and I've got this job that I've always wanted and I've got, got a life that I thought I wanted, but it's drudgery. And then he said words that will always stick with me. He said, it's like I've got no hope. And I asked him about what does he mean by hope? And he said, hope is the belief that sometime in the future will be better than where I'm at right now. Hope is the belief that sometime in the future there's going to be a day which is going to be better than right now. As I was preparing this sermon over the last few weeks, uh, he, uh, he came to mind and I, I thought I'd send him a Facebook message and I reminded him of that conversation. And it's about six years past. He's now in his early 30s. And I said, how are you on hope going? And he said, I remember that conversation. And he said, I'm now on a different continent. I've got roughly the same job. And I feel pretty much exactly the same. I think we live in a world where so many people are going through kind of almost a drudgery of life. And they feel like, you know, where's my hope? When is that day? Is that day going to come that's going to be far better today? I wonder today if you have got hope. Have you got the belief that sometime in the future there's going to be a day that is going to be better than today? Have you got that hope today? 
Because I think we all need hope. Hope is not blind optimism. Hope is, is not ignoring the enormity of a task before you or the barriers that may be in your way. Hope is, is not sitting on the sidelines or shirking from a fight. It is not denying the pain that you may be feeling right now. Hope is knowing that despite all the evidence that is presented before you, that something better awaits in the future. It is knowing that that no matter what you are going through now, something awaits in your future that is better than now. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope today? Well, I think the Bible is actually a book full of hope. It is shot through with hope. And we're going to look at this passage, which I think at the center of it, it is talking about hope and a great hope that we can all have. And so we're going to see three things today. We're going to see that the gospel gives us three things. It gives us a hope that can't be conquered, a love that can't be bettered, and a future that can't be taken away. It gives us a hope that can't be conquered, a love that can't be bettered, and a future that can't be taken away. Let's have a look at at the first point, a hope that can't be conquered. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Please open it in your Bibles if you've got a Bible in front of you or on your screens or tablets or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just grab it in front of you. Here we go, verse 1. And it says, Paul says, Therefore, since we've been, we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I come across the word therefore, help me with this, you've always got to ask, what is the therefore? Thank you. Thank you. High, high degree of participation right there. But well, you, you ask, why is it there? And, and in the first four chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has been outlining the gospel. In chapter 1, verses 18 to 30 uh, to, I think, 320, he has been uh, talking about how all of us have blown it with God. We've wanted to be our own gods and we have worshipped things that aren't gods. And then in 321 to 30, he's been saying, "But, but God has done something different. Jesus has, been, has come and he has taken our sin away. He has been, uh, he's dealt with God's anger against our sin and now we are legally right with God. That's that word justification. It means we are legally right with God. And then in chapter 4, uh, he, he outlines, he goes back to two prominent figures in the Old Testament, Abraham and David, and he shows how they were right with God by faith alone. It's not by what they've done. It's only by what what uh, Jesus has done, what God has done for them. And they had faith in God. And so here we get, he says, since all that has happened, since we've been justified by faith, here's the second thing. We have now peace with God. He's saying now that we have, have got this legal standing before God, that we are right with God, that is justification. Now we have peace with God. They're two different concepts, and they're very, very important both to grasp. Imagine if you are before a judge sometime, 
and, that, and you have done a bunch of things against this judge. Maybe you've vandalized their car or, or you know, you've you know, hurt one of their children or something like that. And the judge stands before you and he says, I find you not guilty. That is the legal, that is the legal standing that you have got not guilty, i.e. you've been justified with the court. But if he, if he came down and he said, now I'm going to be your friend, come over for dinner, now you've got peace with him. That's what we call reconciliation. And what Paul is trying to say that in the gospel, you and I have got both. That because what Jesus has done, not only we are legally right with God, but he has adopted us and now we are, not, we are no longer his enemies, but we are his friends. And we've got that intimate relationship with him. And this peace here is absolutely unbreakable. He goes on, have a look at uh, verse 2. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace that we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He, he is saying that our lives are so being transformed that we now have a different standing. We no longer stand as, as people who have rejected God. No, we stand in grace. Everything that we have now is grace, which is a gift from God. We are now right because of grace and grace alone. And what do we do with that? We boast. We boast in this great hope that we have, that we are right with God. We, it's, it's, not like, it's not like a boast as if I'm awesome. I've got this. But we're celebrating all that God has done. All that God has done. But some of us here are going, how can I boast when everything in my life is going really hard? Well, actually, he deals with that. Have a look at verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, what you've got to realize, that word in verse 3, where it says glory, is the same word for boast in verse 2. So it's the same idea that, that, that there is something in our sufferings that we are, we are meant to be boasting. But here's the thing. He is not saying, he is not saying that we're in the middle of our sufferings and we're boasting. It's not like we, we come to church and go, my life is falling apart. Isn't that awesome? No, 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 there's a difference. He is saying we boast in our sufferings. We boast while we are suffering, not we boast because we're suffering. It's a very big difference. And, and why can we boast while we are in our sufferings? It is because what Jesus is doing, what God is doing in us as we suffer. I, I, I can remember coming home and uh, Kate telling me, that we had miscarried. And, and I can remember going or, or feeling like she had miscarried and then getting the confirmation that, yes, we had. That's happened to us twice. And it just rips your heart apart. Paul is not saying that the, the right response in that is to go, oh, yay, we miscarried. 
No, he is saying that through our hearts breaking, through that terrible time, that we can boast in God through that because we know that God is doing something far greater. What is, what is he doing? Have a look again. Verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Paul is saying that as, as we trust in Jesus through our sufferings, God helps us to persevere and we develop that. We develop character. And ultimately, that ends in our, in our great hope. The great hope that we have that is that all the way through our suffering, that one day we will stand before Jesus and he will wipe away every tear. He will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. If you trust in Jesus today, that is your great hope, that he will wipe away every tear. That, that, that every tear that you have shed through pain, he will wipe away. I, I always remember when I think about suffering, a, a man named uh, Admiral Jim Stockdale. From 1965 to 1973, he was a prisoner of war in what they called the Hanoi Hilton. In that time, he was tortured over 20 times. He saw so many of his mates who he was, in, he was in a war camp with die. And he was asked, why did he keep going and why could he be a leader in the middle of the Hanoi Hilton? Why could he be tortured 20 times? Why could he, why could he endure all that? And he said, in his own words, I never lost faith in the end of the story. So, see, he kept going and he developed perseverance and character and all that kind of thing. Why? Because he believed that there was one day he was going to be rescued. One day he was going to be reunited with his family. One day he had that great hope. And if you follow the Lord Jesus today, you have a greater hope than that. You have the hope that one day... You will stand before Jesus on that last day and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You kept persevering through your hardship. Yes, you believed that I was working for your good in all that. And here, let me wipe away every tear. That is your great hope. Brother or sister, if your heart is breaking right now, I I totally understand where you're coming from. I may not have walked the exact path that you're walking down, but my heart has broken too. And as people who follow Jesus, it's our great privilege to keep looking forward to the hope that we have. And so as you shed your tears, as your heart breaks, remind yourself of the great hope that you have. Because this passage is saying that we have a hope that can't be conquered. But we also have a love that can't be bettered. Have a look at verse 6 with me. That's our second point, a love that can't be bettered. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the, the ungodly. 
See, what Paul is saying here is that you and I were loved by God. But when did he love us? When we were powerless. The powerless there, I take to be a moral powerless. We didn't have the power to be a good moral people. Actually, we were ungodly. And then he uses kind of an illustration. He says in verse 7, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly, uh, might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us, his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He's saying, guess what? You know, people may die for someone who's really, really ultra good if they really thought about it. But actually, Jesus dies when we're sinners. That's how God demonstrates his love for us in this. That Jesus died for you and me when you were blowing it with him. I used to be a lifeguard in Moree uh, in my early 20s. And one of the things that in lifeguard training they teach you is if, um, if you're rescuing, if you're in the water and you're rescuing someone drowning and it happens they kind of launch themselves on top of you and you're drowning now and they're on top of you, you do whatever you can to save your life so that you don't die. And when I heard that, I thought, well, that's a bit, I don't know, I'm meant to be a lifeguard, lifesaver, whatever you want to call me, I think that's a bit harsh until it happened to me. There was a lady who came to the, the pool from, uh, from Sydney. She brought, uh, she was in her 70s, and she uh, brought basically her whole clan. And we had a no drinking policy, obviously for good reason, at the pool. And yet she snuck a whole bottle of red wine in and drunk it over about two hours. And of course, what do you, what do, you do when you uh, have drunk a whole bottle of red wine? You feel like going for a swim, don't you? And so she jumped in the deep end. The problem was she couldn't swim even in the shallow end. And her granddaughter came out and said, you've got to help me. You know, my grand, grandmother's drowning. And I threw out a rope and, uh, and she grabbed hold of the rope and I was pulling it in and then the rope went through her fingers and her granddaughter said, no, she's got arthritis in her hand. She can't grip hold of anything. So I jumped in and my, you, know, you get trained to swim out with your foot like this. So if they launch themselves at you, you kick them away and they die and you don't. Basically, that's why. So, but she went under the water and I just swim out normally and then she comes up out of the water and lands right on top of me. And I'm thinking, I didn't take a breath. I was terrified. And I did whatever I could to get her from off me. And it was quite violent. Because the point is, I am not going to die for a woman who drank a whole bottle of red wine and thought, man, seeing them do it at the Olympics, it can't be that too hard, right? And say, I, I may not die for you. But, but that's so different from Jesus who, verse 8, have a look, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we're still sinners Christ died for us. It is Jesus who, who jumped into the pool of your and my sin. And instead of kicking us away, he died so that we could live. He died in your place. And here's why, why that's really important. 
Because we have this idea today that, that God will only love us if we perform, because that's how love works in our society, isn't it? We choose the person who, who's going to, uh, we choose the person to love uh, if they're going to be beneficial to me, if it's going to be beneficial to me a lot of the time. And yet this love was not beneficial to God in any sense. He took on your sin. And so don't be fooled that if you're in a pattern of sin, don't don't be fooled by Satan whispering in your ear, does God really love you? Maybe you're looking back on the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months or something that happened 20 years ago and you, go, and you think, well, how could God love me because I've done that? God loves you at your worst. God loved you at your worst. And so is he going to give you up now if you sin? Is he just going to look at something that you're doing you know, now and go, oh, I've had enough? Of course not. God doesn't love you. God didn't start loving you at your best. He started loving you at your worst. And that means, guess what? You cannot outsin his love. You can't outsin his forgiveness. You can't outsin his grace. You are totally safe in his love and his forgiveness. And so that should give you great hope. No matter where you are today, you can't outsin the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God. There is a love here that can't be better. That's our second point. Let's have a look at the, the, the third point. A glorious future that can't be taken away. Have a look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Paul is saying we are legally right with God because of what Jesus has done. He's shed blood. But, but now that he's been raised from the dead, how much more are we going to be saved? Well, if Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death on the cross, well, we're going to be saved from the effects of Satan's sin and death. Verse, verse 10, for if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This passage is saying it's not just enough that God has made you legally right with him. He has He has destroyed what was holding you and him back from being friends. He has dealt with your sin and his anger at your sin. And now you can be totally reconciled. If you are a Christian, this is you. God doesn't look down on your life with anger. He sees you as someone who has been reconciled, someone who he loves. And he is saying because, and this is the future tense uh, you know, that he's talking about, how much more shall we be saved? He is saying you have got a future that is assured because of what Jesus has done. I don't know about you, but a lot of the time when I listen to politicians make promises, 
even though I'm 40, I'm just, I've just heard too many of them. Because they go, oh, we're going to do this. Oh, really? What about when you said you were going to do that last time or the time before or, or that, right? And I don't know about you, but have you ever had a boss that promises you, oh, well, when, when we restructure it, your, your job is going to go from 60 hours a week to 40 hours a week, and then there's, then there's a restructuring, and you've got to work 70? And they go, oh, this is only going to happen for six months. Oh, really? That's what you said last time. And, and you go, what, what, wait, what about promises? It seems like everyone just breaks promises. And yet you can be assured of this promise. Why? Because the down payment has already been paid. Actually, the whole thing has already been paid. Jesus died for you. And so the promise of the hope that you have is absolutely secure. Is absolutely secure. We have a great hope. If you follow the Lord Jesus today, you have this great hope. And the thing is, as a, as a church... We want to share this hope with a world that is starving for hope. I wonder how many people that you know of who are like my friend, who just go, you know, I've got this job, it's drudgery, I I don't have any hope for the future. Our job as a church is to share the great hope that we have. I want to show you a photo of somebody. It's coming up on the screen right now. This is Emma Ural. Emma um, didn't grow up in a Christian family. Uh, she, she, she didn't go to church all that much. I think she went to church, you know, Christmas, Easter, maybe some baptisms, funerals, that kind of thing. Um, Emma came uh, to Macquarie Uni for, for uni a few years ago, and she got to know some people who were, start, who were going to our church. And she had all these questions. She was invited to church a number of times. She came to church a number of times. She had all these questions about Christianity and and about the world and about Jesus and the Bible. And yet last year, through COVID, she became a Christian. She found the great hope that Jesus gives her. Just earlier this year, she, she went through the membership course and uh, she went through the membership interview and it will be my privilege and pleasure at our next members meeting to actually ask you to confirm that she's going to become a member of this church. And this afternoon, she's going to get baptized at the 5 p.m. service. Now, you know someone's really converted that they get you know, baptized in, at the start of winter, right? I mean, that, that shows you're really converted, right? But isn't that what we want as a church? Don't we? We want to see a flood of people come to know Jesus. We want to see so many more Emmas get baptized. That's what we're on about here. That's why we exist. We want to see people come to know Jesus and then be built up in him and come to love him and obey him more. We want this place to, uh, to be a church so overflowing with hope that so many people come and find the hope of the Lord Jesus, the hope that you have if you follow Jesus. That's why we exist as a church. Let's pray. Now, Father God, I thank you for the great hope that we have in Jesus 
the great hope that even in the midst of our suffering, that we look forward to a day where every tear will be wiped away. And we thank you for the great hope of sins being taken away. What we have the great hope of, of every, you have done everything so that we can be right with you. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us here that, that are just struggling, hearts are breaking, tears are falling. Help them to remember the great hope that they have. For, for those of us who are struggling with this concept of, of whether you really love them, I pray that once again they will be blown away by, by your love shown on the cross of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would not live for the things that this world puts their hope in, but we would live for the hope to come. Oh, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We thank you for Emma. We thank you that she came to know you. And we pray that we will be a church that is so overflowing with hope that we have hundreds of thousands of people come to know this hope and be established in this hope. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.